Thanks for listening to First Baptist Church of Conway. We pray that this message is both an encouragement and a challenge to you as you grow in faith in Jesus. We are happy to provide this resource to you, but as you know, this alone cannot meet the need we all have for fellowship and corporate worship. So we hope you'll be able to join us this Sunday at 10 a.m. Or if you're not in the area, give us a call and we'll do our best to help you find a good church to visit. For now, here is this week's message. Jesus. Well, good morning, First Baptist Church. How you percolating today? Some of you think, man, it's so cold. I need some percolation. <laughs> I need something to perk me up. I remote started my car from inside the house this morning before I came, give it five minutes or so to warm up, walked out to get in the car five minutes after I'd remote started it, got in the car, the doors locked, and it was so cold, it's not normally 25 degrees in Conway or Myrtle Beach. I hit the ignition button to take it out of remote start so that the transmission would engage and the steering would engage and the button did work and it wouldn't come out of remote start. And so it's locked up. How many of you say, I feel locked up this morning? Well, I want you to be free, okay? If you brought a copy of God's Word, turn to Acts chapter 11. We'll take a brief break, I guess, from your study of Matthew. What a great book. The study of Matthew, Jesus as the King in the Gospel of Matthew. And we'll turn over three or four books, five books into the book of Acts. Find Acts chapter 11. I want to talk to you for a few minutes this morning up in the balcony. I see you. I want to talk to you all over the place this morning about the ministry of encouragement. Class, let's start with a test this morning. So take out pencil and paper and write down the answers to these questions. Are you ready? Everybody say ready. ready. Question number one, who was the elderly woman who believed in Billy Graham and prayed for his salvation every night for 10 years? Write down your answer. How many of you know it? Raise your hand. Nobody knows it. Second question, you're not doing so well on the exam. <laughs> Who built a relationship with a young shoe salesman named Dwight L. Moody? Who led him to Christ in his own shoe store and then encouraged him to share his newfound faith with others, setting him on the road to become one of the most effective evangelists of the 19th century? Anybody know? Nobody knows? Question number three. Who encouraged a young Catholic monk named Martin Luther? Helping him to discover the transforming message of grace and freedom found at the heart of the New Testament. Who was it? Anybody know? Don't look at me in that tone of voice. Write something down. Question number four, who encouraged the great English preacher Charles Haddon Spurgeon to persevere through a time of intense criticism and slander concerning his ministry? Anybody know? All right, <laughs> last question, this is just too painful. Anybody know who saw and affirmed 
in a young man named Charles Wesley the ability to write great hymns of praise long before Wesley himself considered writing music. Ron Lee Davis of Mentoring Magazine has said, over half of all Nobel Prize winners were once apprenticed by other Nobel laureates. The Howard Business Review has said, we don't know of anyone ever, anywhere, who has ever succeeded in business who didn't have the training of a cadre of encouragers. I want to talk to you about one of the ministries, one of the vital ministries, one of the most important ministries of Dream Church, the church you're dreaming of, and the church in the book of Acts. It's not preaching, it's not teaching, it's not giving, it's not compassion, it's not service, it's not evangelism. It's none of those. But this ministry is as important, or if not more important, than all of those. Dream Church, the church in Acts, was rich in this ministry. They were fat and full and fulfilled in this ministry. And because of it, the church soared. But beloved friends and guests of First Baptist Church this morning, I must say to you, honestly, I believe it is the black whole of Christian relationships and even of the Christian church. It's a hole in the church today. I hope it's not a hole in this church. Maybe you would know that. We don't know how to do it. We don't take the time to do it and we don't do it. And everybody needs it. Everybody's sucking air at some time or another. And so, boy, do we need this ministry, somebody to blow some fresh air into troubled and damaged souls. <laughs> Why, gang, everybody's depressed. You can just about pick your drug, drug of choice and nobody's pumping air. Everybody's loading, but nobody's lifting. And we're the worst off for it. And the church is the worst off for it. Can I prove my theory? When is the last, question number six in our exam. When is the last time you parked it beside someone and encouraged them? When is the last time you encouraged someone else. I want to talk to you today about the ministry of encouragement. And I want to do it here from the book of Acts, taking a page from the greatest encourager I believe in the Bible. This guy is top of the list, grade A, all-American, all-world super champion, a world-class, a world champion encourager. I know we run the risk in taking our examples from the best. Mark Twain said, there's nothing more annoying than a good example. But we might as well learn from the best. And this guy is almost an anonymous encourager. 
like those encouragers that I started out with on the test, nobody knew them. You wouldn't know their name. Maybe you won't recognize this guy's name. He's in the Bible, but it's not Peter, Paul, or Mary. And the answer, my friend, is not blowing in the wind. It's not Joshua, it's not Moses, it's not John or Martha or Esther or Lazarus or Apollos. This guy's name is Barnabas. That was his nickname. His real name was Joseph. (laughs) But this guy's name was Barnabas. His name was Barney. Barney the Purple Dinosaur. No, it's not Barney the Purple Dinosaur. It's not Barney Fife. It's Barnabas. And I would say to you, beloved First Baptist this morning, if you want to get on a bus, get on the Barnabas. Be a world-class encourager. Walk into the, a room and bring some air. Don't suck all the air out of the room. Look at this story. Acts chapter 11, beginning at verse 19. There the scripture says, so then those who were scattered because of the persecution that occurred in connection with Stephen made their way to Phoenicia and Cyprus and Antioch, speaking the word to no one but Jews alone. But there were some of them, men of Cyprus and Cyrene, who came to Antioch and began speaking to Greeks also, preaching the Lord Jesus. And the hand of the Lord was with them, and a large number believed, turning to the Lord. And the news about this reached the ears of the church at Jerusalem, and they sent Barnabas off to Antioch. Then when he arrived, and witnessed the grace of God, he rejoiced and began to encourage them all with a resolute heart to remain true to the Lord. Verse 24, for, or it's a relative clause, because he was a good man and full of the Holy Spirit and of faith and considerable numbers were brought to the Lord. Then look at what Barnabas did, verse 25. And he left for Tarsus to look for Saul. And when he had found him, he brought him to Antioch, and for an entire year they met with the church and taught considerable numbers, and the disciples were first called Christians at Antioch. Gang, (laughs) I firmly believe that the encouragement of Barnabas, get on this bus, is what we all need today. And before I talk to you some about encouragement, telling you what it is and how to achieve it in your own life, let me exegete the passage. I'm a preacher. And I'm too smart to preach anything but the Bible. And I'm too dumb to preach anything but the Bible. And so let me exegete this passage for us. In this passage, Acts 11, 19 through 26, we see a man named Barnabas, and he was a man of sensitive compassion. 
Jot that down if you're taking notes. He was a man of sensitive compassion. The Bible says that revival among the Greeks had broken out in Antioch and many people were converted. And the whole mission board back in Jerusalem wanted to send a missionary down to Antioch to check out this new work, to check to see whether or not these conversions were legit. And so they chose Barnabas to go down and spy out the work and see if it was real and see if it was genuine. They chose this guy, Barnabas. In Acts chapter four, verse 36, we're introduced to Barnabas. His surname was Joseph, but the apostles nicknamed him Barnabas because he was like the son of consolation or the son of encouragement. That's what his name meant. Oh, Barney Fife, Barney. Barnabas means a son of consolation. He was a man of sensitive compassion. He was not critical, he was compassionate. He was not condemning, he was consoling. He doesn't put down, he picks up. You know, some people have the gift of criticism. Not Barnabas, he had the gift of encouragement. He had the gift of exhortation. And so he came into that place and he saw the grace of God. Did you know you could see the grace of God? You can see it on the smile of a face. You can see it in the handshake of a brother. You can see it in the pickup of a friend. An encourager is somebody who pats you on the back. They don't stick you in it. And so they build up, they don't break down. He was encouraging a man of sensitive compassion. He was encouraging in his manner. He was considerate in his method. Verse 23 says, then when, then when he came and spied out the grace of God, he saw the work of grace and then he spoke. He didn't just barge in and unload. No, first he saw the grace of God. He laid back and witnessed the grace of God. And then he unloaded. An encourager is not a getter. He's a giver. And he waits until he knows his audience and then he lifts their burdens with the word. He was sensitive in his mission. Verse 23 says he witnessed the grace of God. He goes in looking for the good to lift, not the bad to condemn. You know, when you're with other people, if you want to find bad things, you'll probably find them. You get what you're looking for. How many of you know that? You generally find what you're searching for. So if you go in searching for holes, guess what you'll find? Holes. Why, folks? Because we all got them. But if you go in, listen to me, if you go in looking for the good things, you'll probably find those too. And an encourager focuses on the good things to lift, not the bad things to condemn. Lots of people have the gift of criticism. The encourager has the gift of exhortation and encouragement. It takes a real champion to be an encourager. And he was encouraging and sensitive and compassionate in his message. Look at verse 23 again. He encouraged them to remain true to the Lord. You say, well, a lot of times I don't know what to say. 
I just don't know what to say when she's hurting. I don't know what to say when he's lost his mother. I can't go and visit because I just, I just don't know what to say. Barnabas didn't know what to say. And so you know what he said? Cling to Jesus. Cling to Jesus. You can do it. Stay with the Lord. He encouraged these new converts not to get it all together, not to know everything, not to, not to buck up and be strong, but just remain with Jesus. The best words of encouragement you could ever give are just cling to Jesus. And he did it over and over and over and over again. Look at verse 24. The Bible there says he was a man of sanctified character. He was a man of sanctified character. Verse 24 says, because Barnabas had this ministry because he had the ministry he had because he had the life that he had. Because he was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and of faith and considerable numbers were brought to the Lord. He was a good man. The word there is agathos. Now, this is not moral fiber, although that's important. But here, this agathos is relational fiber. Listen to me, Rock. It's relational fiber. He was a people lover. It means to be good with respect to others, benevolent, kind. Gang, you can't be an encourager if you don't love anybody but yourself. He was full of the Holy Spirit, verse 24. That means he was full of the Spirit's virtue and open to the Spirit's leadership. He walked through open doors and he served the person in front of him with encouragement. He was full of faith, verse 24 says. That is commitment and dependence and trust and reliance every day said, God, open the doors and give me the message. God, open the doors and give me the words. God says he will. And Barnabas, a man of sanctified character, the Bible says in verse 24, God used to bring considerable numbers to the Lord. I don't know what you want written on your tombstone. (laughs) It's as cold as death this morning. I don't know what you want written on your headstone, but verse 24 would make something good. I don't know that I've achieved it yet. I told somebody I want that written on my tombstone. If it was true about my life, he was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and of faith. And considerable numbers were brought to the Lord. (laughs) Folks, that's better than beloved son or cherished daughter or loving mother. As good as those are. Barnabas was a soul winner. They really came to know the Lord. And the ministry of encouragement is so contagious. And the ministry of encouragement is so Winsome, encouraging people. Stay with Jesus, man. Stay with Jesus.
You can do it. We all have times and periods of our lives where we lag behind. Everybody needs a word. Stay with Jesus. Stay with Jesus. And Barnabas was a man of steadfast commitment. Look at verses 25 and 26. The Bible says that Barnabas left Antioch and went to Tarsus to look for Saul. Anybody know why Saul, named Paul, is in Tarsus? He had fled to Tarsus, his hometown. He had been exiled to Tarsus. He had been driven to Tarsus because the apostles were still afraid of him. And none of the other disciples in Jerusalem believed in him. So Paul escaped to Tarsus. He ran for his life. And he's still in Tarsus here. This is before the advent of Paul's public ministry. You see what's going on, folks? And it was Barnabas, the son of consolation, who went to Tarsus and got the apostle Paul. Who gave, here's question number seven in our little exam. Who gave the apostle Paul, the author of 13 books in the New Testament, his start in the ministry? This guy, Barney the Encourager. The anonymous encourager, steadfast in his commitment. And verse 26 tells us that because of the ministry of this steadfast encourager, he stayed in Antioch for a year with Paul and he discipled these new converts, these new Greek converts who had come to know Jesus, he discipled them for a year and because of their growth and because of their advancement, the Bible then says, look at the end of verse 26, and the Christians were first, the disciples were first called Christians at First Baptist Conway. No, the disciples, disciples generally were first called Christians at Antioch. Because of the discipleship of this encourager, would that people in Conway would see First Baptist Church Conway and say, man, those people, those people are just, they're like Christ. They're Christians. They're little Jesuses. They're little Christ. And could it be in part because that church is full of the ministry of encouragers? Exegesis over. Now listen to this. I want to tell you, gang, I believe that you are never more like Christ You're never more a little Christ, a Christian, than when you are full of compassion and action for those who are needy and broken and depressed and forgotten and abandoned and alone and driven away or just starting out. How absolutely essential is this ministry of encouragement This is the medicine the world needs. 
This is the medicine the church needs. This is the medicine your church needs. Our greatest need is to get on our mission to make disciples. But our greatest medicine is encouragement. And there's no greater need than there is for this medicine now. When I was in college at Presbyterian College, I was raised in a Methodist church, went to Presbyterian College, came out a Baptist preacher, and preached like a Pentecostal. <laughs> so I'm a methobacteriacost. I've been sprinkled, dunked, and dry cleaned, all right? Any way you can get it. When I was in college at Presbyterian College, I went to Beaver Dam Baptist Church in Mountville, South Carolina, population 57. Beaver Dam Baptist Church was a church that Pastor R.G. Lee, the great expositor and preacher, preached at when he was in college at Furman University. R.G. Lee pastored Beaver Dam Baptist Church. And at that church, we used to sing an old, old hymn, a spiritual. There is a bomb in Gilead. Rocky, you remember that hymn? There is a bomb in Gilead to make the wounded whole. There is a bomb in Gilead to heal the sin-sick soul. It's taken from Jeremiah chapter 8, verse 22. Listen to it. Is there no bomb in Gilead? Is there no physician there? Why then has not the health of the daughter of my people been restored? Beloved First Baptist and our special guest, I'd say to you this morning that there is a bomb in Gilead. And the bomb is the Lord Jesus Christ. And there is a great bomb for Gilead. And that great bomb is encouragement. Everybody needs encouragement. There's never been a generation of greater depression than among our young people today. They've all got a drug problem. They're drugged to school. They're drugged to church. They're drugged back home. And then there's cocaine and there's fentanyl and we're fighting to eliminate suicide as an option. There's never been more depression and guilt and moral ambiguity and gender confusion and sexual perversion and distress and emotional insecurity. There's never been a time of greater depression for our young and for our families and for singles and for the elderly. The elderly don't know that they're wanted or needed or believed in. Silver hair is to be a bright smile of hope. You can make it. See, I made it. And you can make it. Instead, it's a dark cloud of geriatric despair and depression. At a nursing home, Rocky, in Miami, Florida, a group of senior citizens is sitting around and they're talking about their ailments. One said, my arms are so weak, I can hardly lift this cup of coffee. Another said, yes, my cataracts are so bad, I can't even see my coffee. And another said, I can't turn my head because of the arthritis in my neck, to which several of them weakly nodded in agreement. <laughs> and another spoke up and said, my blood pressure pills make me dizzy. 
And another said, I guess that's the price we pay for getting old. Then there was a moment of silence and one woman said cheerfully, well, it's not that bad. Thank God we can still drive. (laughs) An old woman, a, a widow, 89, met an old man, also a widow, age 90, in an assisted living place. They must have had too much wine together one night because he asked her to marry him. They went to bed in their own places that night and he calls her the next morning. And she says, I'm so glad you called. And he says, well, she said, I knew. He said, I knew that I asked you last night to marry me. And I just can't remember if you said yes or no. (laughs) She she said, I'm so glad you called me. I knew somebody asked me last night to marry them. But for the life of me, I can't remember who it is. We all need encouragement. Encouragement is the ointment, the lotion, the copper tone for the sunburns of your soul. And we all need it. I got interested in this last week. I thought about pastors. Now I hardly know your pastor, so this is not for him. I was a pastor for 20 years. And now I pastor students and athletes and coaches as an area director with the Fellowship of Christian Athletes here in Conway in Myrtle Beach. But pastors are caregivers and care providers. And the expectations, Scott, are high for them to be care and encouragement suppliers. But if it's true that you can't export what you have not imported, I wonder how many of our pastors are encouraged. I wonder how encouraged pastors feel. And the result of my research this past week was depressing. Pastors can be some depressed people. Pastors can be some depressing people because you can't export what you don't import. A survey done of 2,000 pastors conducted by the Fuller Institute in the late 1990s revealed this. Listen carefully. Wake up for just a second and listen. It revealed 90% of pastors work more than 46 hours a week. 80% of pastors believe that pastoral ministry has affected their families negatively. 33% believe being in the ministry is an outright hazard to their family. 75% report a significant stress-related crisis at least once in their ministry. 50% feel unable to meet the demands of the job. 90% feel they were inadequately trained to cope with ministry demands. 
a whopping 70% said they have a lower self-image than when they started in the ministry. 40% report a serious conflict with a parishioner at least once a month. 37% confess to having been involved in some inappropriate sexual behavior with someone in the church. And beloved, that just doesn't happen because of temptation. It doesn't just happen because some skirt sashays into your office for counseling and you get too close and you get too attached and then you do something. It happens because of emotional depletion and weakness. 70% of pastors do not have someone they consider a close friend. And listen to this, this is in. 90% of pastors who are in the ministry at the age of 25, when I finished seminary and went into the ministry and was ordained, 90% of ministers who are in the ministry at the age of 25 will not be there at the age of 65. I'm not talking about in that same church or in that same ministry. I'm talking about in the ministry. Nine out of 10 pastors who were in the ministry at 25 will leave the ministry by the time they reach 65. Somebody think with me. Oh my, we could go ahead and say it respectfully. Oh my God, only 10% are finishing the ministry. It's heartbreaking. Pastors are shouting, help! Now they may need counseling or a support group. But you can do a lot. Help. Somebody give me some air. Somebody pump me some air. Would you please pump your pastor some air? Instead of stealing his air. You know what the problem is, folks? There's a misconception of pastors as people without needs. It kind of goes like this. He went up to Mount Sinai. He got the call from God. God put him in a spiritual bubble suit where he's immune from human problems, supernaturally guarded from temptation, not affected by sin. He knows something about everything and everything about something. His wife sleeps in her Sunday clothes and never needs to brush her teeth or go to the bathroom. His children are visible cherubs. They don't go through childhood, and they always act like adults. You know what the reality of pastors and ministers, and we'll move off of this. You know what the reality of pastors as people with needs is? It goes like this. A pastor is a God-called man. A sinful man, 
forgiven, conscribed by God to a special God uh, job, but called as a Christian like any Christian to walk obediently, having to struggle with sin and sickness and pain and relationships and the dog and the wreck. Just like any person. His character and conduct are to be above reproach, but his nature, his heart is corrupt just like yours. He is not just one of the guys, but he is a guy. And his children aren't cherubs. They are human beings struggling with sin. And his wife doesn't sleep in her Sunday clothes. And she needs to blow her nose. And she struggles with her own sin and with her own children. We all need a lift. Be a load lifter. Be an encourager. Everybody got it? Say got it. Good. Now I'm going to hustle toward the end. Do you have the gift of criticism? Huh? Do you light up a room when you leave it? (laughs) I want you to light up a room when you enter it. I want you to find somebody lonely, depressed, sinful, broken, inadequate, incomplete, forgotten, the Apostle Paul, Barnabas, went to get him. Can you not say something more encouraging? What are the emotional cracks that all people face? Write these down real quick. What are the emotional cracks that all people face? Pastors and people, all people. One is loneliness. Loneliness answers the question, does anybody understand? Does anybody care? Is anybody here? There's stress. Stress answers the question, is there any help? There is too much job and too little strength. That's stress. Too much job, too many demands, and too little energy. There's feelings of inadequacy. Can I do it? Feelings of inadequacy answer the question, can I do it? Or how am I doing? There's depression. Number four, depression answers the question, can I get up? I'm too loaded down. Can I get up? And fifth, there's spiritual warfare. And spiritual warfare answers the question, why do I feel little spiritual motivation? You know why? Ephesians 6, 12 says, For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the powers, against the world forces of this darkness, against the spiritual forces of wickedness in the heavenly places. You know why you can't get up? Because the devil, old Slewfoot, don't want you to get up. 
Those are the weaknesses we all face. I worked as a summer camp counselor. Every summer from the age of 13 to the age of 21, when I finished Presbyterian College, I did everything from taking out the trash and sweeping out cabins to being the athletic director and boys counselor to being the assistant director by the time I was 21. I pulled up beside a boy who seemed dejected, who seemed forgotten, who seemed lonely, who seemed broken one day down next to the lake. I sat down beside him. We talked, and after a moment of our talk, I asked the boy, what do you want? What do you want? I thought he meant, I, I, I thought he would think I meant, you want a Reese cup? <laughs> You want to go off, to, off the, the rope swing into the lake? But he answered it reflectively and introspectively. I said, son, what do you want? He said, I want someone to tell me I can do it. What is encouragement, gang? It means to breathe life and hope and strength into another person's soul. It means to administer life support to people who need a lift. It means to breathe vital life air into people who are depressed and ready to quit. Everybody's sucking air. Breathe some air. It means to give emotional CPR to crash victims. To give emotional CPR to crash victims. You know what CPR is? It's compassion and power and refreshment. An encourager sees something in people that nobody else seems to see. I talked to a discouraged salesman one time. This guy could sell ice to an Eskimo, but he was discouraged. You know what he said to me? He said, what I need is a blessing that isn't in disguise. Encouragement is the great undisguised blessing. Come on, man, let me encourage you. Be an encourager. Say something encouraging. How can you do it? Jot down these ways and we'll be out of here to fried chicken or whatever you're going to have for lunch. Number one, prepare your life. Verse 24, for he is a good man, holy, full of Holy Spirit and of faith, and considerable numbers were brought to the Lord. It is the life that results in the ministry. The ministry does not result in the life. So prepare your life. Work on your character. Second, be a people lover. Become a people lover. A people lover. Be a giver and not a getter. You'll never be an encourager if the only person you love is yourself. Third, spy out the needs. Be aware of people around you. Don't walk around with your head down into your phone. Be aware of people around you. Four, step into the opportunities. 
When you see a person hurting or lonely or afraid or abandoned, step into the need and just speak. Maybe all you'll say is, cling to the Lord. And number five, speak and act in love. Verse 23, stay with the Lord. Speak. You don't have to say a lot. But just say, you're going to make it. Stay with the Lord. Not, oh yes, you have to understand everything that's going on, and here's the way to understand it. Or, oh, I know what you're feeling. Can I say to you, never, ever say that. Because you ain't in their body. You ain't in their skin. You ain't in their shoes. Did you know everybody is 21 days from quitting? Everybody, look around, look at the person beside. Everybody is 21 days from quitting a job, a church, a marriage, a relationship, a school. 21 days. The challenge is you don't know where the person beside you is in that 21 day journey. And some of them could be at day 20. Maybe you're at day 20 and a half. And you're sitting beside you today. What do you need? Somebody just to say, you're going to make it. Stay with the Lord. Discern what he's doing. See? So don't quit. But give out some encouragement. And you say this morning, John, you know, I understand the person beside me is at day 20, but... I'm at day 20. <laughs> Would somebody please encourage me? Blow some air into me? Well, all I can say is the principle of reciprocity. Give and it shall be given unto you Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, shall men pour into your life, into your lap, into your bosom, right into you. Heads are bowed and eyes are closed. Scott's going to come and lead us. We're going to sing and we'll be done. But we would pray today, Lord Jesus, I pray today that you would let it be. That you would let me be an encourager. Lord, I can be so critical. Oh, you won the spelling bee, but. Oh, man, you won a, you won a state championship, but. How'd you do on this play? I can be so critical. Oh, God, help me in Jesus' name. 
to be more like Barnabas, more like the Holy Spirit, who is the encourager to call us alongside to you. And Lord, for these, my friends, let it be for them also. Let them find the chance, Lord, to encourage today someone else and to encourage this week someone else and to make the commitment today to be more like Barnabas, the son of encouragement. In Jesus' name, amen.